listening, of course, to CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. Stay tuned now for The Jazz Show coming up with Gavin Walker.
We'd like to welcome you to another edition of The Jazz Show on CITR-FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. My name's Gavin Walker, and we're here until, well, I used to say midnight, but uh, we go on sometimes uh, until after midnight as well these days. And it's really hard to believe that uh, this is the last day of November. And of course, next month, I think everybody knows what next month is. Hmm. Anyway, <laughs> we have a great show lined up for you this evening. Our jazz feature is uh, a great artist by the name of John Leslie Montgomery, who was better known as Wes. And I'll tell you more about him in just a couple of seconds. We're going to, um, later on in the show, play you some tracks from three very obscure piano players that you've probably never heard of. Two of them only recorded once in their lifetimes. They all had long careers, yes, but they only recorded once in their lifetimes, and one of them is a totally forgotten but incredibly talented piano player who actually only did two albums at the tail end of the 1950s for the Riverside label. And uh, we're not going to name them right now, but we will when we feature these three obscure and very different piano stylists. And, of course, it's there's so many... Um, great musicians that uh, have never recorded uh, all over um, uh, the United States, Canada, and elsewhere that have never had an opportunity to get into a recording studio, but at least these musicians did um, get an opportunity to record, and we have their music to uh, explore later on this evening. But our jazz feature this evening is an album which really has uh, a title which tells it all. The album title is The Incredible Jazz Guitar of Wes Montgomery. That was produced by Oren Keep News, the redoubtable one, for Riverside Records. And it was Wes's second album for that label. But it's an important album because this is the album that really put Wes Montgomery on the national jazz map. Uh, up to this time, he was known, of course, locally uh, in his hometown of Indianapolis, Indiana, and also in San Francisco, where he lived part-time with, um, with his brothers, who, uh, who he worked with in a band called the Montgomery Brothers. And, of course, his brothers were... Um, Buddy Montgomery, wonderful uh, pianist, and bassist Monk Montgomery. They were both older than Wes. And 
Actually not. Uh, Wes was the middle brother. Uh, Buddy was the youngest. <laughs> I correct myself because I knew all these guys very well because they also, um, especially uh, Buddy and Monk, because uh, they came up to Vancouver. They were almost a part of the Vancouver jazz scene in the late 50s, uh, early 60s, because uh, Buddy and Monk came up with a band called the Master Sounds. Then they came to Vancouver as the Montgomery Brothers with Wes. And, of course, um, because we knew the other two brothers, we got to get uh, here in Vancouver, we got to know Wes. And, of course, a greater gentleman you could never meet. Congenial, uh, funny, um, not the least bit uh, cynical or mean or anything like that. Wes was just a delightful, sunny, uh, outgoing uh, person. He loved to laugh. He loved to have a good time and uh, um, really didn't harbor anything that can be construed, construed of as being kind of dark. Uh, even his humor was, was, wasn't was dark like a lot of musicians' humor. Uh, it was very light. He liked silly jokes, all this kind of stuff. And a uh, very, very serious musician. When, he, when it got down to playing guitarist Wes Montgomery, yes, he was, he was something else. He was born in uh, Indianapolis on March the 6th of 1923, and he died... Young, he was only 45 when he died, June the 15th, in his hometown. Died of uh, he wasn't feeling well one morning. He woke up. They told us he told his wife he wasn't feeling well, and she said, um, "I'm going to call an ambulance." And of course, by the time she did that, uh, Wes had succumbed to a, um, a really severe heart attack, and uh, and died right there. And we lost an incredible musician who, at that time, had not only established his mastery and his credibility in the jazz world, he had done a lot of wonderful crossover albums, too. So people outside of the jazz world knew about Wes Montgomery. He's a favorite of all the rock guitarists. He's a favorite of people like Eric Clapton. He, uh, Jimi Hendrix loved uh, uh, Wes. Um, uh, all the all the great all the great uh, rock guitarists all mention Wes Montgomery when they're asked about their favorite guitarists, and the beautiful thing about Wes, as I said before, was was not only his music but his personality. He was just a delight to be around. As a matter of fact, all the Montgomery brothers were were that way, and I'm I'm really feel privileged that uh, I got to know them all uh, quite well, and. Uh, I, I really feel honored that they liked me, too. So <laughs> that was cool. Anyway, getting back to this album, Wes had already recorded one album for the Riverside label with his own little band, which was an organ-based trio uh, from Indianapolis. But it, it was decided that this second album, he would be put with um, major jazz musicians and... Wes Montgomery and Oren Keepnews uh, put their heads together, and Wes asked for and got these musicians that uh, he performs with on this album. It was released, and boom, it was the critics went wild over it. Um, five stars um, raved about the album. It was heard all over the jazz radio programs, 
and it became a very, very uh, good seller for Riverside Records. And, of course, it put West Montgomery on the map. Interestingly enough, just backtracking a little bit, it was Julian Cannonball Adderley who turned Orrin Keatnews on to West Montgomery. Cannonball Adderley was kind of a talent scout, and, uh, of course, he by that time he was signed and he was a good friend with um, producer and record label owner Orrin Keatnews. And Cannonball happened to be passing through Indianapolis, and he went to an after-hours club and heard West Montgomery. And, of course, immediately phoned Orrin Keepnews, and he says, you know, you got to get on the first plane out, out here and hear this guy. You won't believe what you're going to hear. And Keepnews said, okay, I'll take your word for it. Got a ticket, headed for Indianapolis, went to the After Hours Club, heard Wes Montgomery, and after one set of listening to Wes, had his pencils and papers out, for West to sign a contract to Riverside Records. And, of course, West did so much of his early great recordings for Riverside. West Montgomery didn't just appear out of nowhere as he appeared to the general public. People don't know or didn't look into his background. West Montgomery had worked really, really hard in his hometown. Uh, he worked day jobs. Um, he he, he uh, was raising a family right from a very young age. So he worked, worked days um, and had, had his day job to support. And he, then he also played uh, till 4 or 5 in the morning at, at clubs, uh, got a few hours sleep, came home, uh, got a few hours sleep, and went to work on a, <laughs> on a day job. So he did that for many, many years and, of course, honed his skills. Wes Montgomery um, basically was uh, self-taught. He didn't read music uh, hardly at all. Uh, He didn't really have any any knowledge of of chords and so on. He could play stuff for you, but he he couldn't explain what he played. He just said, well, uh, uh, this is, listen to this. And, of course, it would be up to you to, to figure out you know, the, the, the structure, the musical structure, theoretically. Wes didn't know any of that stuff. He did it all intuitively. He also never used a pick. He played with his thumb. And that really is an integral part of his style. And he had an incredible chordal sense. Um, and, of course, uh, we'll hear his great stylings on, on, uh, on this particular recording. It's a classic. And it was done in uh, early uh, January in 1960. So we hear, once Wes and Orrin put their heads together, Tommy Flanagan was who Wes wanted to play with on piano, on bass. And he was fortunately available. He was a member of the Modern Jazz Quartet, and they were busy all the time, but he happened to be in town Percy Heath on bass, one of the greatest, and on drums, Percy's younger brother, Albert Tootie Heath on drums. So those are the four people that uh, Wes made this recording with, and we're going to begin with uh, a great version of a tune written by Sonny Rollins called Erigen, And then we're going to go to a West Montgomery original called D-Natural Blues. And then we're going to hear a standard 
a great old uh, romantic standard called Polka Dots and Moonbeams. And then we're going to follow that with uh, a West Montgomery original. Based, uh, it was built on the chord progressions of Summertime, but it's, so it's a variation of that tune. And West calls it Four on Six. And uh, that was one of his more popular uh, original compositions. But the next tune is one that he'll be forever remembered for. And this is a great version, the first recorded version of Wes's great tune, West Coast Blues, that he wrote when he was uh, with his brothers in San Francisco. We follow West Coast Blues with uh, one of Dave Brubeck's most charming and wonderful compositions. And it's called In Your Own Sweet Way. And everybody had recorded this tune. Miles recorded it and different other people. And it's one of the more popular Brubeck compositions. And tune number seven, well, it's not dedicated to me. It's dedicated to somebody, but it ain't me. Because I didn't know Wes when he recorded this. I didn't meet him till the following year. <laughs> so anyway, tune number seven is called Mr. Walker. And uh, it's a West Montgomery original. And the final tune is a great old standard that's been played by jazz musicians down through the ages, a tune called Gone with the Wind. So here then, once again, West Montgomery on guitar, Tommy Flanagan on piano, Percy Heath on bass, and younger brother Albert Tootie Heath on drums. The incredible jazz guitar of Wes Montgomery, our jazz feature for Sissoir. Enjoy. Thank you. 
Our jazz feature this evening, the incredible jazz guitar of Wes Montgomery. And this is, of course, a true classic. And it was recorded uh, in New York City January 26th and 28th, over two days, in 1960. And um, Orrin Keepnews had a method uh, that he recorded. He, um, unlike Blue Note, uh, which paid for um, one rehearsal and two recording uh, sessions, uh, Orrin Keepnews didn't pay for rehearsals but booked two days. Uh, for his recording sessions so that uh, he could pick out the best and sometimes he got musicians to repeat what they did on the first session uh, if he felt that uh, or if they felt uh, they could improve on it. And then, of course, there was Prestige Records. One shot, that was all you got. <laughs> That's the difference. Anyway, uh, getting back to uh, this, uh, it was Cannonball Adderley who turned... Oren Keep News on to Wes Montgomery and brought Wes to Oren's attention. And, of course, as soon as he heard them, Wes Montgomery, he signed him to a contract. And many of Wes's finest and most iconic recordings were made for the Riverside label. This was Wes's second album. And this is the album that really catapulted Wes to uh, national fame. Um, the, the critics loved this album. And um, uh, it was, again, uh, a discovery for, for most fans as well because uh, they didn't know who Wes Montgomery was and where did this genius, this guy, plays the guitar like no one else? Where did he come from? People didn't know that, of course, Wes had worked many, many years and uh, honed his skills uh, at home in Indianapolis and also in San Francisco uh, before... Uh, making recordings and um, pretty amazing. The very modest Wes Montgomery as well. And uh, he, he was very fussy about his, uh, his recordings. He always felt that he uh, never played uh, as well as he should have. But um, uh, he was all, always encouraged to, uh, if, he, if he made an acceptable take, he'd say, oh, oh let's, do, let's, let's do another one just in case. And, and the other musicians would usually say, Wes, what you played was just amazing. Let's leave it. Let's go on another tune. That's, uh, that's the way he, that he was. He was very self-deprecating when it came to his own playing. And, of course, he, he, he was always a little bit self-conscious of the fact that he, he didn't read music uh, hardly at all. Uh, and he didn't know anything about uh, uh, the construction of music in terms of theory, uh, what chord leads to another one, all this kind of stuff that people can, most musicians can discuss pretty easily. Wes, Wes just, he just played it. That, w that was it. And uh, it was funny, you know, when Wes was in Vancouver, a very good friend of mine went to approach them and said, you know, could you give me some, some tips, uh, like a lesson or something? And Wes said, I can't teach you nothing, man. You know, I, I don't know nothing, <laughs> so I can't teach you nothing. He says, I'll play, and, and, and you figure it out. And, and, and if I play something interesting, then I'll, I'll, I'll play it over for you, and, and you can learn it. And that's how my friend uh, uh, Bill Fawcett learned uh, to improve uh, on his own guitar playing. 
And <laughs> that's, that's the way Wes was. Anyway, getting back to this uh, great album, which is, of course, as I mentioned, his second album for the Riverside. And it was decided, uh, Wes and producer Orrin Keep News, that they would put Wes, the first album was with a local band from uh, Indianapolis, Wes's uh, little working trio. Uh, but they decided to make the second record with uh, real major jazz stars. And, of course, um, that's one of the reasons why this album became a classic and, and why it was greeted so well by the critics and fans, um, not only for the, the fact that uh, all these musicians were very well known at that time, um, but, of course, the quality of the music as well, which you've just heard. So we heard Wes Montgomery on guitar, Tommy Flanagan, the poet of the piano, uh, on bass, the great Percy Heath, and on drums... Percy's younger brother, Albert Tootie Heath. And we heard eight tunes making up this album. And we opened with a great Sonny Rollins composition called Erigen. And that kicked the album off on a nice up-tempo. Then we slowed things down with the blues. And it was Wes's own blues called D-Natural Blues. And then we moved to um, a great beloved old standard tune called Polka Dots and Moonbeams. Then we moved to a Wes Montgomery original, one of his most uh, popular, that was based on the chord progressions of Summertime. And Wes did a few little variations, changed the melody a little bit, and called it Four on Six. And then we moved to probably Wes's most famous composition, tune number five, the West Coast Blues. And then we move to a very slow um, ballad rendition of one of Dave Brubeck's most delightful compositions and prettiest as well, uh, a tune called In Your Own Sweet Way. And then we had a, a bit of a, a, a Latin funk feeling on tune number seven, and it was Wes's original called Mr. Walker. And then the final tune, of course, was the great old standard Gone with the Wind. So that has been our jazz feature, Wes Montgomery, the incredible jazz guitar of. We'll be back with some more jazz music and a tribute. Our next selection after these messages will be a tribute, a musical tribute to the people of Paris, who, of course, as... You'd have to be living under a rock not to know what happened in Paris on Friday the 13th. And this is a tribute to that great city that we're going to hear uh, in a few moments right after these messages. I'd just like to remind you that you are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR. My name's Gavin Walker. And, of course, CITR is broadcasting from the University of British Columbia on unceded Musqueam territory, and we're also on the web, www.citr.ca. And we shall return right after these significant messages. Do you like friends? Well, we like you. So become a member and get a Friends of CITR card. 
Not only does it make you special, but it gives you all kinds of deals with our friends on Main Street, including 10% off an anti-social skateboard shop, Devil May Wear, Red Cat Records, Woo Vintage Clothing, and more. Visit CITR.ca for more, or come check us out in the nest. Shindig, CITR's annual band competition, is in its 30th year of promoting new local bands and providing great prizes. Shindig happens every Tuesday at Pat's Pub and Brewhouse at 403 East Hastings. So come check out the talent, let it compete to win studio time, features in Discorner magazine, buttons, merch, and more. Enjoy locally made beer, pool, and CITR DJs spinning after the band. Shindig Night 7 is happening this Tuesday, December 1st, featuring Late Spring, Cloudhood, and Regen. Cover $6 at the door, and the show is 19+. plus. Check out CITR on Facebook or on Twitter at CITR Shindig for all the details. You're listening to CITR 101.9, broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the traditional, unceded, Coast Salish territory of the Hunkamenum-speaking Musqueam people. Our next musical segment is led by one of the greatest drummers of all time, Max Roach, in his working band. This was recorded in Paris in 1960, long, of course, before any of the current events happened. But I thought, I, I was listening to this the other day, and I thought, you know, this would be kind of appropriate. This is a portrait of Paris. Uh, these are comp This is a, a little suite um, composed by Max Roach, and it was recorded in the City of Lights as well in March of 1960 and featured uh, Max's working band of the time, which included uh, the two Turrentine brothers, Tommy Turrentine on trumpet and the great Stanley Turrentine on tenor saxophone and my friend trombonist Julian Priester. And on bass from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, a great bass player, not as well known as he should be, but uh, in this band, you really need, needed a bass player to keep everything grounded, and this guy could play. Bobby Boswell on bass. And we're going to hear um, a piece of music called Parisian Sketches by Max Roach, and it ostensibly uh, features everyone in the band, of course, in extended solos. And um, I thought that I would play this in tribute to the great city of Paris. And it's, it's really interesting because we in North America, Paris may, be, may seem a long way away and, and in another part of the world, but really our, our so much of um, French culture, and I, I'm not talking about the language, I'm talking about the ideas that emerged from, uh, from France, our, our ideas that we believe in. Um, democracy, equality, all that kind of stuff. Uh, uh, our, our whole kind of Western positive thinking uh, is derived from a lot of the 
um, writings of great French authors and philosophers and and just the whole the whole idea. And so this is a tribute to the great city of Paris. We're going to listen to Parisian sketches, and it's in um, five parts. We begin with The Tower, which features one of the most beautiful trumpet solos I've ever heard in my life by Tommy Turrentine. He really scores on this one. And it's really hard to, um, if you can imagine, he sets such a high standard with his trumpet solo. It's really hard to imagine the rest of the band keeping up, but it certainly does. Uh, so we move from the tower to Le Champ, Le Champ d'Elysée, and then we move to the caves. Uh, then part D is the left bank, and part E is the arch. And uh, it's about 17 minutes long and a great uh, suite of music. So here then is Parisian Sketches by Max Roach.
17 minutes of incredible music played by the Max Roach Jazz Ensemble. That was called Parisian Sketches, and that was composed by Max and featured, of course, everyone in the band. And that everyone included Tommy Turrentine on trumpet, younger brother Stanley, Stanley Turrentine on tenor saxophone, Julian Priester on trombone, and Bobby Boswell on bass. And um, that was divided into, uh, that suite was divided into five parts. The Tower, featuring the incredible, incredibly beautiful trumpet of Tommy Turrentine, and then uh, Le Chant, Chant d'Alizé, and then the Caves, the Left Bank, and finally the Arch. And a little tribute to the great and wonderful City of Light that uh, has been through one of the most uh, traumatic uh, incidences in its long history. Last couple of weeks ago on Friday the 13th and is still recovering. And so uh, I thought I would play this uh, piece of music by Mr. Roach dedicated to the city of Paris, Parisian Sketches. So I hope you enjoyed it. We're going to uh, move now to some very obscure pianists that you've never heard of. I'd just like to remind you that you are listening to The Jazz Show, of course, on uh, CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. My name's Gavin Walker, and I'm sure the name Evans Bradshaw means nothing to even the most devoted jazz fans. And he was uh, an incredible piano player who actually grew up in Memphis uh, with Phineas Newborn. And, of course, Phineas went on to, uh, uh, went on to great fame. And um, Evans Bradshaw had the same basic background. And when they were young men in Memphis, they used to compete for gigs. So it, was e- it would be either Phineas on the gig, or if Phineas wasn't available, then they'd get Evans. And uh, that's the way it worked. Young Bradshaw moved to New York in 1958 and uh, began to uh, play a few gigs and was heard by, and I bring his name up again, uh, that great talent scout, <laughs> Oren Keepnews. But it wasn't Oren who went to hear Evans. It was a, a, a disc jockey in New York, a very aware guy, who uh, phoned up Oren and he said, you know, this is a young piano player here that I don't think anybody's heard of. And uh, his name is Evans Bradshaw. And, of course, uh, Oren Keepnews said, who, what? And he said, uh, you ought to go hear him. He's playing at, at some club. And so Keepnews uh, grabbed a cab and went out there to the club and caught Evans and decided that, uh, yes, he was ready and um, approached him with the idea of recording with a couple of major musicians. And so this album came out with uh, laudatory notes by Oren Keepnews, and the album was called Look Out for Evans Bradshaw. This was um, recorded in June of 1958, and the people involved on this album, the great George Joyner on bass, who Evans knew from Memphis. Uh, George Joyner became better known uh, when he um, became 
joined the Muslim faith and became Jamil Nasser. And, of course, he was one of the, played with Ahmad Jamal for years, one of the great bass players in jazz, Jamil Nasser. The drummer is none other than Philly Joe Jones. So young Evans Bradshaw was pretty nervous going into the recording studio with these guys and um, because Oren Keepnews felt, well, uh, the, the people he was working with were, were good, but it would be better for this young man to work with some very well-known musicians and it would raise his level to a higher level, that sort of thing. And it worked. And um, so Evans Bradshaw recorded this album, and of course it's become one of the most obscure items in the Riverside catalog because uh, it's never been reissued. And uh, a year later, um, Oren Keepnews recorded a second Evans Bradshaw album with uh, the band he was working with in Detroit because after the, this, the first recording, Evans moved not to Detroit, but to Flint, Michigan, which is an industrial town, well-known, and it's about 60 miles away from Detroit. A lot of people think Flint is a suburb of Detroit. It isn't. It's a separate city. And Evans chose to live there. He found a good accommodation and a gig and um, formed a little trio. But what happened after, and so Oren Keep News flew up to Flint and recorded a second album. So there were two albums by young Evans Bradshaw, but no more after this. Um, he, the career never blossomed into, into anything. And so, and these albums became very, very rare collector's items. And uh, Evans Bradshaw passed away in 1978. He was born in 1933 and uh, wasn't that old, died in 1978. He worked uh, in and lived the rest of his life in Flint, Michigan, and actually worked in the automobile industry. He was um, a technician, and uh, that was his day job, and he played piano on weekends, but uh, never achieved any kind of fame except these two albums that he made. So we're going to sample the first album, the one with Jamil Nasser and Philly Joe Jones. I'm going to play you two tunes from that first album. Then I'm going to play um, a tune from the second album uh, a little later on, and I'll tell you who's on there. But uh, anyway, this is the first of our series of these very obscure piano players, and we begin with Evans Bradshaw. Jamil Nasser, or George Joyner on bass, Philly Joe Jones on drums, the first tune we're going to hear is a standard that everybody knows. It's Georgia on my mind. And the second tune is a composition by Evans Bradshaw called The Prophet. So check him out. And we begin with Georgia on my mind. <laughs> Thank you. 
From his debut album, which, of course, as I mentioned, is very rare, is the, uh, the first. We're going to hear a little more of Evans Bradshaw uh, from his second album, but uh, this is the uh, first obscure piano player that uh, most of you have probably have never heard of. <laughs> and this is from an album called Look Out for Evans Bradshaw. And uh, he was featured with an all-star New York band, or trio, with uh, Jamil Nasser on bass, a.k.a. George Joyner, uh, who Evans knew from um, growing up in Memphis. They were boyhood buddies. And Philly Joe Jones on drums. And that was recorded in New York in June of 1958. We heard two tunes from the album, 
We heard a, a rather uncharacteristic uh, interpretation of Georgia on my mind as an up-tempo tune, and then we heard a relaxed, bluesy original by Evans called The Prophet. Now, we're going to move, because he did two albums under his own name, we're going to move to about a year later um, when he recorded the second album with his working band. And these were guys that he worked with in his um, adopted hometown of Flint, Michigan. He had a steady gig there um, on weekends, and, uh, and uh, Evans worked uh, in the uh, automobile fa- um, plants uh, in Flint uh, as a technician. Uh, during the daytime, but he had this band with Al Jackson on bass, sometimes known as Ali Jackson. He is Milt Jackson's brother and um, very fine bass player. And on drums, a true Detroit legend, but not a jazz legend. He went on to record uh, most of the great Motown. Uh, He was a drummer on so many Motown albums. Uh, He was known as uh, Pistol Allen a very fine drummer, but his real name is Richard Allen. And, of course, he recorded this. Uh, he was part of Evans Bradshaw's trio, and, and this is uh, Richard Allen uh, before he became Pistol Allen. And a um, very fine jazz drummer. And, as I said, went on to a great career in the, uh, in the Motown field playing R&B. But uh, certainly sounded good with uh, Evans on this one. This was his... Uh, working trio. We're going to hear two tunes from the second album called Pieces of 88. And both of these albums are among the rarest uh, in the Riverside catalog. And uh, they have never been reissued on CD. So we're going to hear from the second album, uh, an Evans Bradshaw original called Blues for Jim. And then we're going to hear his interpretation of Dizzy Gillespie's great tune, A Night in Tunisia. So here then, Evans Bradshaw, Al Jackson on bass, and Richard Pistol Allen on drums. Thank you. 
Evans Bradshaw from his second album and his, uh, obviously, his final album. He never recorded again after this one, called Pieces of 88. And again, a very, very rare item. That featured um, the band that he worked with um, in, his home, in his adopted hometown of Flint, Michigan. Al Jackson, Mill Jackson's brother on bass, and Richard Pistol Allen on drums. And we heard two tunes from that album. An original by Evans called Blues for Jim, and a nice up-tempo version of Dizzy Gillespie's uh, great tune, A Night in Tunisia. Evans Bradshaw. So the first of our very obscure pianists. This is a sort of a mini feature that I'm doing right now. The second guy is even more obscure. He only made one album under his own name, and a brief appearance on... Uh, a couple of tunes a few years later that uh, I won't be playing this evening, but this is the only album that he recorded under his own name. His name, and I'm sure you're <laughs> not too familiar with it, his name is Roosevelt Wardell. Roosevelt Wardell was born in Baltimore in 1934, and he passed away in 1999. He was in the U.S., um, forces and in during the early 50s when he was a very young man and he was a singer and he was an R&B singer and uh, he met up with uh, of all people Cannonball Adderley who was also doing his time in the uh, in the US forces um, the, those were the days of the draft of course and everybody got drafted and Roosevelt um, told Cannonball that he that he um, is learning piano, and Cannibal says, well, let me hear you play. And, uh, and Roosevelt sat down on the piano, and, and Cannibal said, you know, you can be an excellent piano player, man, if you, if you put your mind to it and, and, and study. And Roosevelt said, well, that's what I really want to do. After Roosevelt got out of the Army, he continued his career as an R&B singer, and he had a couple of minor hits in the R&B field. And, um, but at the same time, he was really working on his piano. And during uh, the ensuing years, he, him, uh, Roosevelt and, and, and Cannonball ran into one another, and Cannonball said, how's the piano coming along? And Roosevelt says, well, maybe I can sit in on a couple of tunes with your uh, band, and, and you'll hear it. And, of course, Cannonball was, was quite impressed and uh, realized that Roosevelt was pretty serious about his piano playing. And so he continued that way, but then they lost track of one another. And it, it was in 1960 that Cannonball Adderley and his band were ensconced in a long gig in, at Los Angeles at the, uh, at the Lighthouse. And Cannonball was also employed by Riverside Records as a producer or in Keep News had deputized Cannonball Adderley to produce some albums uh, to be recorded in Los Angeles, a whole series of albums. And they came out on the Riverside label called Cannonball Adderley Presents. And this is one of them. What happened in the ensuing time when Cannonball was in Los Angeles, uh, he heard that Roosevelt Wardell was actually working with Dexter Gordon. And Dexter had uh, just come back. He'd, he'd been serving a, a, a term <laughs> and had come back to active playing. 
and Roosevelt was in his quartet. So Cannonball made an effort to hear Roosevelt Wardell, and of course he was amazed at how much he had progressed since the last time he had heard him. And so he, he approached Roosevelt and said, you know, I'm producing some records for Riverside. Would you like to make an album? And Roosevelt said, well, yeah, sure. Uh, and Cannonball said, would you want to use the rhythm section you're, you're currently working with? And Roosevelt said, well, would it be possible? Could I work with your rhythm section? Could, it, could I record with Sam Jones and Lewis Hayes? And Cannonball said, well, yeah, because... They're, they're known. It would be good for you to record with these people. And um, there you go. So that's how the record came about. And it was recorded October 5th, 1960 in Los Angeles. And this is the only record that Roosevelt Wardell ever made. His career never went really anywhere after this one. And um, uh, it's r- hard to know what whatever happened to him after this. I know he did remain in Los Angeles uh, till about 1964 and then disappeared and um, that's it. And he did pass away in 1999. So we're going to hear um, three tunes from this album. And you'll hear what a distinctive piano player Roosevelt Wardell was. And here he is with Sam Jones on bass and Lewis Hayes on drums. The first composition is Uh, by Roosevelt, and it's called Elijah is Here. And that's an original composition. The second tune is his interpretation of a great blues ballad, Willow Weep for Me, by Anne Ronell. And the final tune is the title track from this album. It's called The Revelation, and that's also a composition by Mr. Wardell. So here, then, is the only recorded evidence of the great pianist, Roosevelt Wardell. Check him out.
What an amazing piano player. And to think that he only made this one album. And uh, thank Cannonball Adderley for uh, being bright enough to uh, bring Roosevelt Wardell into the recording studio in Los Angeles where they had uh, re-met one another. And uh, Cannonball allowed Roosevelt to uh, record with uh, his rhythm section, which included uh, Mr. Wardell, of course, on piano, Sam Jones on bass, and Lewis Hayes on drums. And we heard three tunes, uh, including two originals by Roosevelt Wardell. The first tune was called Elijah Is Here. The second tune, of course, was a great uh, blues-based standard by Anne Ronell. Everybody knows Willow, Weep for Me. And the final tune was another Roosevelt Wardell original called The Revelation, and that became the title track of this uh, very rare album, which came out on Riverside Records. And um, as I said, Roosevelt did one session, just two tunes from a uh, recording session a couple of years later with some other people, and then uh, completely disappeared from the scene. And uh, I have no idea where he went, what happened. All I know is that he passed away in 1999. And uh, this incredibly talented piano player who, uh, as I said, began his career as an R&B singer, blues singer, and uh, moved to uh, and studied piano on the side and became this proficient, Roosevelt Wardell. So the second of our obscure piano artists uh, will be back with the third, and he's very different from all the others. And uh, we'll tell you more about that when we, uh, when we come back. I'd just like to tell you that you are listening to CITR FM 101.9 on your dial. <laughs> and we're also on the web, www.citr.ca. And my name is Gavin Walker, and of course this is The Jazz Show, a regular feature of CITR every Monday night with uh, some of the very best in jazz music. We have a couple of messages for you, and uh, we'll be back with our third um, mystery piano player right after this. That's so sad. Oh, nothing, really. (laughs) Not very convincing, Jane girl. Whatever it is, I've got just the cure for it. One, two, three, four. Did you know CITR has a women's collective? This brand new collective is all about providing and fostering a community for women who are or who want to be in radio, fighting the gender disparity in media, and centering women's voices and issues. If you are a female-identified person or ally who's already involved in radio or wants somewhere to start, this collective is for you. Email womenscollective at citr.ca for more information and to get involved. And tune in Friday at 6 p.m. for the collective show, Lady Radio, featuring music, interviews, events, news, commentary. Basically anything we care to talk about. See you then. Well, how do you like it? There's only one word for it. Terrific. (laughs) You know, I'm so proud of it. It's almost indecent. Listen up. Did you hear? CITR is putting on a full day of content dedicated to students. December 2nd is 24 hours of student power. Clubs, bands, radio, oh my! 
CITR constantly works to promote underrepresented voices in media. And for one day a year, we dedicate an entire day to focus on students. That means student hosts, clubs, initiatives, artists, and more. Featuring three student bands from 6 to 9 p.m. Melt, Cheap Flavor, and Stefana Fertilla. Listen up this December 2nd at 101.9 FM or at CITR.ca. I guess uh, I guess we're looking at a change in the weather. <laughs> All right, tonight uh, increasing clouds, of course, and then rain beginning uh, this evening. It's already spattering by the time I came out here, so low of four. And then tomorrow is uh, cloudy with the rain off and on during the day. It's also going to be windy tomorrow with a low of four and a high of nine. Then uh, Wednesday. Pretty well the rest of the week. Uh, Wednesday, periods of rain, low of 8, high of 10. Uh, Thursday is even more blustery because it's going to be windy. Rain with a low of 9, high of 11. Friday is showers, uh, lows between 6 and 9. Saturday and Sunday, same. Um, Rain both days, uh, lows uh, around 5 and highs around 9 or 10. So uh, that's it. Uh, the sunshine has uh, disappeared for a while, and we're actually going to get warmer, and it's going to be more of our typical, if you can call any weather these days typical, typical December weather for Vancouver, pre-Christmas weather. All right. We'd just like to remind you that uh, there's a couple of great uh, jazz websites that uh, you should be checking out. One of them is the website of the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society, and that's a good one. It is um, very comprehensive, and they have all kinds of uh, gigs and uh, announcements to uh, make on that website, and it's really good to browse around uh, the whole site. Very, They keep it up to date, of course. And the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society, of course, is the organization that brings you the big jazz festival every year. And they work very hard to continue uh, to produce uh, concerts throughout the year. And, of course, uh, at the uh, new venue down on uh, Beatty Street, Frankie's Italian Restaurant, of course, which is a jazz club. And um, there you go. And it's between uh, Robson and uh, Georgia. On, uh, uh, on 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 Beatty Street, right beside the uh, uh, hotel there, and of course right across the street from BC Place, a very very fine venue, venue, good good food, all that kind of stuff, and music happening there all the time. So the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society, coastaljazz.ca, is the site to go on. The other site, of course, is uh, Brian Nation's great website, which is vancouverjazz.com, and uh, you can access that uh, and get around. There's all sorts of links on that particular site as well. VancouverJazz.com. And one last mention, of course, is my good friend Ken Speller, a fine musician, 
uh, he teaches woodwinds at home and um, actually comes to your house. Uh, you just you book him. He, he gives you the price, and uh, he'll come and teach you how to play the flute, the clarinet, the saxophone, and uh, right in your home and uh, give you stuff to work on and, and uh, all that sort of stuff. He's a very fine teacher, but he's also a woodwind repairman. And he's really, really good at that and keeps his prices down because he has his workshop right in his home. And Ken is located at the 13th and Lonsdale area of North Vancouver. Easy to get to and easy to contact uh, if your um, uh, horns need uh, repairing and uh, tweaking or whatever else. Uh, He's the man to do it. So he's at 778-800-1933. 778-800-1933 is his phone number. And he can be reached via email at kspeller, K-S-P-E-L-L-E-R, underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. kspeller, underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. Our final piano player. Again, this man only made one album. Now, he had a very interesting history in jazz. He played uh, in a lot of traditional bands. Um, Dixieland, swing-type bands. But he was uh, a forward thinker. And uh, because he played gigs in those bands, uh, that was his way, and he mastered that that music. He was an excellent piano player. He spent quite a bit of time uh, in Montreal as well. He worked with uh, um, a trumpet player named Louis Metcalf, who played at uh, a legendary Montreal uh, club called the uh, uh, Café Saint-Michel, and, or the Club Saint-Michel, and um, it, uh, it featured all kinds of uh, different things there, and it was a great, uh, great club, live music and dancing and all that sort of stuff, and Valdo Williams actually recorded with Charlie Parker when Charlie Parker visited Montreal. So a very, very, very good pianist and very, very all-around. Now, in 1966... When this was recorded in December of 1966, Valdo Williams, this was really the first and only album he made of his own music. This was his vision of music, and this is the way he really wanted to play. Now, I remember having a conversation with Jackie McLean, the the great alto saxophonist, and I asked him about Valdo Williams, and he, he told me, he says, you know, Valdo Williams was playing like Cecil Taylor before... Cecil even came to New York. He was playing that style of piano back in 1948, before anybody, and and he was doing that on gigs. And um, of course, he you know he took a lot of flack for it as well because it was so far out for most people. I don't think you'll find this music far out, but he's very very different from the two other piano players we featured, and uh, we're going to hear a piece of music from, as I said, his only album, came out on Savoy Records, and it was called New Advanced Jazz, and his name, Valdo Williams. Valdo lived a good long life. After this recording, uh, there was nothing much was heard of him. I have no idea. All I know is that he passed away in 2010, and he never recorded after this album. And uh, the people involved here with Valdo, Reggie Johnson on bass, and Stu Martin on drums, a very, very fine drummer who uh, uh, played a bunch of gigs with Sonny Rollins and different people. 
And I, I don't know what, uh, Stu died quite young, but a uh, very, very adaptable drummer. So we're going to hear a piece of music by Valdo, his own composition. And I think you'll like it. It's called The Desert Fox from this uh, album on Savoy. New Advanced Jazz.
We heard a couple of tracks from uh, the iconoclastic pianist Valdo Williams from his One and Only Date, which came out on Savoy Records, recorded December 20th, 1966. And no more was heard from uh, Valdo after this recording. He passed away in 2010. Um, He was from New York City and was around for and played in all kinds of different bands, played traditional jazz, Dixieland jazz, swing jazz, all this sort of stuff. Played with Charlie Parker in Montreal in 1953 and um, was a very, had his own vision of what music for him was all about. And uh, he was able to express it on this particular album, his one and only album. So this is the third of our obscure pianists, Valdo Williams. Reggie Johnson was the bassist and Stuart Martin on drums, and we heard two tunes, both Williams compositions. The first one was called Desert Fox, and the second tune was called simply Move Faster. And as I said, the album came out on Savoy Records. It's called New Advanced Jazz. Valdo Williams. All right, we're going to turn to something uh, a little different. This is a piano player, but this is a guy who sings as well. And he didn't often do, usually he worked with, with a trio. I'm talking about the legendary, he's now retired from performing, Mose Allison. And this is a, a rather unique album because um, he chose to record with some horn players on here. And they add to his whole um, repertoire. And this is an album that came out on Atlantic Records called Swingin' Machine. And it features Mose Allison on piano and vocals on all of the tunes. And Jim Ryder on tenor saxophone, a very, very fine, more obscure player from uh, the New York area. And the great Jimmy Nepper on trombone, who, of course, uh, really made his mark with Charles Mingus, very distinctive trombonist. Addison Farmer on bass and Frankie Dunlop on drums. And we're going to hear three tunes from Mr. Allison. Uh, the first one is the title track called Swing and Machine. Second tune is called Stop This World. And the, second, or and the third tune is called If You're Going Up to the City. That's the name of the tune. And uh, you'll hear the great voice of the one and only Mose Allison. Are you tired? Are you uninspired? If you're bored, well, you just can't afford to miss out on the scene when I unveil my little swing machine. I work years through sweat and tears. I made tests trying to find the best. And you'll know just what I mean when I turn on my little swing machine. Sometimes it gets a little hard to start. Sometimes I think it's going to come apart. But when it's working just 
take a tip. Don't be over here. Just reach out. See what it's all about. You know it's much more felt than seen. I'm talking about my little singing machine. Stop this world, let me off. There's just too many pigs in the same trough. There's too many buzzards sitting on the fence. Stop this world, it's not making sense. Stop this show, hold the phone. Better days this lad has known. Better days so long ago. Hold the phone, won't you stop this show? Well, it seems my little playhouse is falling down. I think my little ship has run aground. Stop this game, deal me out. I know too well what it's all about. I know too well that it had to be. Stop this game, you know it's running me. Have some cash. 
If you're going up to the city, you better have some cash. Because the people in the city don't mess around with trash. When you get up to the city, you better lock your door. When you get up to the city, you better lock your door. You know they'll take what you got, boy, and then they'll ask for more. advice from the great Mose Allison on a special, unique album, actually, uh, recorded for Atlantic Records back in 1962 called Swingin' Machine, and that featured Mose with uh, uh, a quintet with some horns, and usually he just worked with uh, bass and drums. So Mose on vocal and pianos, this demonstrated what a fine pianist he is as well. 
Jim Ryder on tenor saxophone, Jimmy Nepper on trombone, Addison Farmer on bass, Frankie Dunlop on drums, and we heard three Mose Allison compositions. The first one was the title track, Swing and Machine. The second tune was Stop This World. And the third tune was If You're Going Up to the City. All right, Mose Allison. We're going to change now to take you to Japan, 1963, in Tokyo. This is the Cannonball Adderley Sextet at their very best. Julian Cannonball Adderley on alto saxophone. Brother Nat on cornet. The great Yusef Latif on tenor saxophone. Joe Zavano on piano. Sam Jones on bass. And Louis Hayes on drums. And this is a composition entitled The Weaver. And it was written by Yusef Latif. And uh, I believe Cannonball is going to say a few words about this uh, before we start. So check this out. This one is based on the blues, and it's got something else besides that. You see, this one is dedicated to a friend of ours in New York who is a dear friend to everyone in the band, kind of a jive cat but a beautiful cat. His name is Weaver, Lee Weaver. So the tune sounds something like Lee Weaver. It's soulful. It's me. It's called The Weaver by Yusef Latif.
one of the new compositions by Mr. Youssef Latif. This composition is dedicated to a tenor saxophone player whose name is John Coltrane. He calls it Brother John, Youssef Latif.
Brother John. We heard two compositions by Youssef Latif when he was a member of Cannonball Adderley's Sextet. And, of course, he contributed so much to the sound of that band. The first tune was uh, dedicated to a friend of everyone in the band, as uh, Cannonball stated at the beginning, a guy named Lee Weaver. And the tune was called The Weaver. And that featured uh, Youssef Latif on tenor saxophone. And, of course, the rest of the band, uh, Julian Cannonball Adderley on alto saxophone, Brother Nat on cornet, Joe Zavanul on piano, and Sam Jones on bass, and Louis Hayes on drums. Then we followed that with another Youssef Latif composition where he was featured on the oboe on that particular one. And that, of course, was dedicated to John Coltrane and called Brother John. Both of these were recorded in Tokyo when the band was uh, at its uh, amazing peak to this uh, very appreciative uh, Japanese audience and, uh, on, in 1963. So that's a good conclusion, I think, for this edition of The Jazz Show. And I certainly hope you uh, enjoyed the music this evening. If you were uh, st- stayed for the full show, great. And if you uh, uh, came in during uh, part of it, that's just as good. Glad you were here. Thank you very much for listening. On behalf of CITR, uh, myself, Gavin Walker, and The Jazz Show. We'll see you in seven days' time. We're back every Monday starting at 9, and we go on until, as you may have gathered, after midnight. So take care. Stay out of the rain. It's going to happen for the next few days. And, uh, yeah, be cool. All right. Bye-bye.
for a taste of the classics with a twist. Join me, Marguerite, with Classical Chaos Sunday mornings starting at 9, right here on CITR 101.9 FM, Vancouver, Canada. For the very best in bluegrass music, 